Yo, yo. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the House List Podcast. My name is Peter Agostin. I am the producer and the host of this show. It's my weekly podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I have a great episode for you uh, that I just recorded. Um, and I think you're going to dig it. It's an incredibly interesting conversation uh, uh, with a, a really unique guy that I, uh, prior to this, had really no um, knowledge of his life or really career path. I basically stumbled across his name um, looking up a show uh, uh, at a you know a concert venue, uh, a, a music venue here in New York City in Brooklyn. And I said, what's up with this guy's name? Because um, I feel like maybe I had like heard or seen his name somewhere. And I was like, I'm just going to look look this dude up and see what he's all about. And that is my guest on today's show, Malik Abdul-Rahman. And I basically started a conversation with him knowing very little. He came through to the house here in Brooklyn. And um, uh, we just had a really cool chat which winded down the the ever um curvy path of anyone's life and it turns out he's the same age as I and uh so I could draw some similarities there um but um I was familiar with some of the record labels he had worked with or some of the people we have some mutual friends in common as well but I had basically stumbled across an album that he put out last month in May um called Field Research Malaysia, which is basically an instrumental composition-based sample-heavy album that he did with records and field recordings of a a trip he had had gone on to uh, traveling around Malaysia. So records that he dug and and found uh, there, as well as field recordings. So I I had discovered this when I first saw his name, and I've been digging in on that. And um, a little snippet of that is what we open the show with today. And that's about all I knew. And I, I was familiar with the label, um, which is a Brooklyn-based label uh, that does a lot of tapes and vinyl and some really cool um, beat-oriented stuff called Paxio Records. So if you're not familiar with that label at all, start by like checking them out. And then I'm hoping by the end of this conversation, if you aren't already familiar with Malik Abdul Rahman, then definitely seek out his his music. I, I think there's a good cross section of people that are going to listen to this that already know and are a fan of his. And as we went to talk um, further along the conversation, I could see the various um, sort of connective tissue, if you will, between uh, uh our different worlds and and music and stuff and it and he had worked at a1 records here in new york city and actually produced uh, a few joints for for ghostface and but um i became pretty intrigued just with his life story and having uh uh gone to the air force and lived in japan and actually really became most established as a producer of hip-hop artists in japan in the early 2000s and uh, I've been to Japan a handful of times and know uh, a good amount of the artists there and f- have a good familiarity with a lot of the producers and DJs. Uh, but what I found even more intriguing is that this guy then would uh, be stationed in, in Iraq and would 
really go through and see a lot of crazy stuff and all the while being able to retreat back to his room or his bunker or dormitory whatever it might be kind of considered uh to make music um on on mpc and uh with records and and uh on a portable and and you'll see in this conversation i don't want to get too far along into describing it to you but it's pretty amazing and uh just pay attention and listen to this only here on the house list if this is your first time tuning in please don't forget to subscribe on itunes or soundcloud if, if you feel so inclined uh, hit that like button or write a little review or a comment or something like that just to know that people are engaging with it this is a diy thing every uh, episode is edited and engineered by cj stewart He's either in Oregon or Northern California. I'm not quite sure where he is right now. But like every episode prior, me and him do these kind of back and forth. So it's just the two of us, really. Um, And I seek out the the guests and try to have meaningful conversations with them. And this is no exception. I think this is a really, really great one. I was surprised. I love it because it was someone I had never met or talked to before. And we just had like, we just went in. And uh, and I and had a really great chat. So without further ado, listen. I appreciate you guys tuning in. This is a modest affair. So thank you once again. Check out my conversation with Malik Abdul Rahman. Only here on the house list. Check this out. Yeah, I, I was just looking um, for some information about a show about someone totally different, and I ran across that you you had a show. You have a show coming up at this venue which i've yet to even go to um i think it's in you have something like in a couple of weeks if i'm not mistaken is it over at um was it cape house I think? yes cape house yeah so i actually that's not gonna happen that's oh, okay gonna... <laughs> well you know what then that's kind of you know the serendipitous <laughs> know. nature of, of the fact that uh i caught this show before it, it possibly fell i guess fell through yeah yeah you know it, it actually um it, i really did want it to happen and, and um I think it's still there's a very real potentiality to have it happen um, right. sometime in, in the near future. Um, it's just like I got hit with the opportunity, and we were trying to turn it around so quickly. It just right, right. It, it, I don't think it was going to work. It, it, it wasn't looking like it was going to work. Well, out. I mean, at least we could hook up that way because that's how I became familiar yeah. with your with your music. Yeah, it's pretty uh, wild. Because I saw it, and I'm <laughs> like, I wonder what this dude's all about. Because it was because I looked at the show and it looked like it was a producer. Mm. Uh, like a live producer type of thing, and mm. I, uh, mm. of course, I've never seen you play uh, in a live setting either. But, yeah. but as I started kind of, you know, and I research artists all the time, and I've worked in the music industry for a long, long time, and yeah. uh, I like just stumbling across stuff in a very innocent, sort of um, casual way, and that's big, yeah. that's exactly how it happened with me with with your music. Oh, so I really I, appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, um, I think it's like. Um, I mean, I'm a record digger, and I'm, I can tell you're, yeah, clearly. A, you're a record digger. Like, I came out see some records over there, like the oh, yeah, 45s and whatnot. In the hallway, yeah. yeah, my first impulse is like, be like, what is this? You know, let me check these out real quick. Um, but that's my life, you know. And, um, yeah, me too. And, and I kind of feel, feel like, you know, like, um, in some way, shape, or form, then, yeah, like, whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, it, it's doing its job, then at least, you know, if um, people are kind of discovering it and reaching out to me and... Um, you know, I've had some magazines from like Germany and from France, and 
you know, these like really massive Spotify playlists somehow, like they're coming across my stuff and putting it into these playlists actually, which is Oh, really that's cool. amazing. Yeah, that's that can germinate someone's music in so many different ways. Yeah, Spotify I was really surprised, playlist. man. At first I was just like, you know, like whatever. Um and you know, shout out to the you know, the folks who make those decisions. I really appreciate that. Um it is humbling because then when you look at it and be like, Man, it's like three hundred something thousand listeners to right. this, you know, that's oh wow, okay, all right, thank you very, very much. So I do really, really appreciate that. And it's, you know, again, it's like when it starts from a simple idea, like a little seed, and then it blossoms into something like that to where I can make a connection with somebody like you or whoever it might be. That's always, um, always appreciated. Yeah. And I had like a pretty, uh, decent amount of knowledge about, um, uh, Paxico. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm hip to them, but uh, there's a lot of artists on the label that I'm not familiar with or that are you know just kind of it's like their first release or and mm-hmm. a lot of them are tapes but i know that that label chris, chris is the guy that runs it yeah, yeah chris hun my man chris hun yeah he seems like a cool guy i've never i've never met him i don't think oh he's a great great guy actually he'll be in town next week actually but uh you know paxico was started in brooklyn right and then it um it relocated out to um out to uh la you know oh, okay and uh, which which is wonderful, you know. I'm I'm slightly jealous of <laughs> making that move because it's such a great time musically to be there. Yeah, but that's also why I found it so interesting that I kind of stumbled across your music too, because there isn't a lot of producers and artists in New York City yeah. that are, uh, you know, it's you know, L.A. has such a wide kind of canvas of you know producer based music you know yeah. so many subgenres of it and i i i guess i i don't know it's like that's constantly um you know bill murray has said something one time and he's like you know uh the problem with new york is once you've lived in new york nowhere else is good enough and i think that there is like a lot of truth to that still like i love new york very much um are you a native new yorker i'm not a native new yorker i'm not a native new yorker um i'm originally from the south actually like from louisiana and texas i kind of grew up between the two um, and you know, I used to live in Tokyo for like eight years, actually. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, too. Like, we, started, we started learning a little bit more as I was getting ready to see you. <laughs> yeah, we can jump into that, you know. But yeah, um, you know, so I, I think New York is just the closest to what it is I'm comfortable with, right. as far as like the, this big, um, this big um, mass of people in one small place all jammed in together. I really like that. Um, and when LA, did you get here? I got here like. Uh, over almost seven years ago okay yeah so it's like um i've been here for a while you know and um and i love it here you know but you know it, it i think it would make sense i guess to go to la um at the same time i've moved around a lot in my life and i get at this point in my life like where i'm at is where i'm supposed to be at right and if i'm not supposed to be there then i just do something about that but i'm not just going to go somewhere because there's a lot of other people there because i feel yeah. like sometimes you can get a little miserable that way too yeah absolutely yeah and i mean in this day and age too i mean it's not completely necessary to live in that place in order to get your music sort of heard by that kind of community i mean i just talked to an incredible um rapper and producer milo uh who Mm. has a lot of um uh connections to that la scene but lives in milwaukee and is from the midwest and stays in milwaukee and and it works really well for him even though that's not like a hotbed of like you know community, you know. Yeah, that's like you know it, it, it's 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 funny. It's like I I you know like I, I've got um a lot of great friends who are there you know plugged into you know the, you know into the scene in L.A. and they live in L.A. Um, and my home is kind of like the spot now where like a lot of those cats if they're from L.A. or I had cats from Europe or 
different places. Like, they kind of come through and stop at my spot now, you know? Oh, um, really? Yeah, I think that's part of the beauty of being in New York. If you're somebody who's vocal and really is out there socially, um, you don't have to worry about trying to go visit other people because at some point they're going to come visit you, whether it's a yeah. layover or, or whatever, you know? But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was talking to a, to a homie... Um, um, who's doing a lot of stuff, like dope stuff out in LA, man. And, um, you know, I don't never, I don't really like name dropping folks, but, right. you know, um, he was like, man, like, if you move to LA, because I've been thinking about it, you know, it was, it was like the end of winter time. And I've, after sure. every winter, you like, it's like, man, I'm going to move to LA, man. This it's is tempting. It. Yeah. But, you know, um, he was like, man, that would be the power move. But he's like, you know, you're kind of like the homie out there in New York, you know, and it's like, we got somebody who's into the same shit that we're into in new york when we're out there and yeah and there's not a big community for it yeah 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 there's room to do whatever you want to do right yeah because i saw too um that you were kind of affiliated with the beat house guys too right yeah yeah is that still is that still um active yeah it's still an active thing you know fresh daily who founded that um he's out in the oakland shouts to fresh um i was the first ever artist to play a beat house set it was on Green Street. And you were? Yeah, it was oh, me. amazing. <laughs> and then I think it was me, my man Vesa Twami. I think Obliv was in the house that night. My brother Suave was in the house. It was a really, really dope party. It was like a basement. It started in, uh, on Green Green Street um, over in uh, Bed-Stuy. Yeah. In our uh, man Chuck's basement. And then um, it moved to Glasslands. And now it's over at, um, I believe it's at Friends and Lovers. Um, or it might rotate around a little bit. But it happens like... Once a week, once every other week. It's still right. Going, and so. it's like DJs and producers, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, DJs and producers, man. So Fresh was the host of it, right? Um, he was the host, and we had my man DJ Jester, who is still running it. Um, cool. And, and he's a great dude. Um, and also uh, the homie Matt, you know, Matt Boynton, he was also involved in the business side of things, too. So it, it, they had a really good thing going, and it's still going. But um, some wonderful artists um, affiliated with them. Yeah, I used to do a lot of shows with Fresh Daily when I was at the Knitting Factory. When I booked the Knitting oh, Factory really? on Leonard Street, when he was, when Yo, was Tarzan. Was he Yo Tarzan then? Or no? Uh, well, this is like <laughs> shortly after that. Okay, uh, I love that. That's like my favorite ever like rap name. Yeah, Il Tarzan. He, yeah. Um, I remember he had uh, this. Well, his big, um, a big song that he would perform at that time was like. Uh, it, it sampled Biggie saying Super Nintendo Sega Genesis. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he was, yeah, it was part of a larger collective, like the, the AOK collective type mm-hmm. people, Homeboy Sandman, yep, and, uh, yep. Nola Darling, and a bunch of that that kind of... That was an ill time. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, it was like 2007 and eight, which was an interesting period of time in New York. I think even since then, New York everywhere. Been a, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Vlogosphere was kind of blowing up then. Right. And, um... Dilla had just died, and a lot of people didn't know what to do. Right. And I think that that was like, you know, you listen to Mad Lib in the uh, Arvana Ways a Ton documentary. I think that was so on point where he's like, motherfuckers just did not know what to do. Because I feel like if you're, especially if you're making beats or, I think hip hop was just like tired, man. It was just oh, really for sure. tired. Was that a crossroads, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I can see that with the shows, too, because it was some of the 90s holdouts were still, you know, in the mix, but had yet to kind of have a second life. Yeah, it was like, you know, like, nobody was making 30 racks a track no more, you know what right. I'm saying? Um, um, hip-hop was starting to get, like, just like jazz did, like, um, it was starting to get academic, you know? So it was uh-huh. like, you gotta do it this way, you gotta do it that way, and then you had this small minority of, like, people who were trying to do something new, or like, you know what, but yeah, it's been done plenty of times that way, let's try it a new way. 
Right. And you know, thank you know for you, thankful for you guys and Fresh and all them who thought to push and to give new producers a chance and to try to you know go in a different direction. I think that's really dope. So right, because you were, but you were making music at that time too. Obviously, right? I was at that time. I was living in Japan. Nice, you know, and that's. So, yeah, I want to get your yeah. more your personal story too, because because obviously, like you're at a certain place, like as a producer right now because I'm, I'm really my first introduction to your music was the field research Malaysian uh, album yeah, so yeah. a lot of stuff has happened since for uh, that. Yeah, and I went back life. and I realized I had heard <laughs> some stuff that I didn't know was yours but particularly the Ghostface stuff oh yeah yeah. yeah so yeah. but I want to yeah like were you did you start doing music when you were living down south or yeah you living down but all the way back man right. and uh, yeah, I'm da- I'm long winded because I'm from the south but I can keep things in a nutshell for you no you can go <laughs> on I'm from the south too oh, not, not south. That. I'm from Virginia okay so okay that's, that's it's still the south know, man. southwestern Virginia it's not yeah. anywhere near D.C. So oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so they got country accents man <laughs> absolutely yeah. but no you know um, my brother was a uh, so I grew up um, in my younger years like Near um, a place called Denton, Texas. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I played um, rubber, uh, rubber glove. Oh wow! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you know they had like one of the best music programs in the country at UNT. Um, Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, University of North Texas has some amazing, amazing musicians, and just in Dallas in general, um, just always like uh, just a massive. um, wellspring of, of talent there musically um yeah so my brother was a ill drummer and he got me into playing drums and i drummed a lot you know i was in band and all that stuff did a little bit of marching band and then i just kind of let it go for a little while and then he had moved to new york at that point like he i was like working at a uh, studio called mixed impressions i think at the time mm. that was um on broadway in the city so he used to like record the terror squad and stuff like that and would send me as a producer or an engineer? As an engineer, but, you know, he would slide certain cats, like his beats. You know, it was really competitive then, I think, you know, but it was a sure. wonderful time. I wish I was up here. But, um, nah, he offered for me to move up here, like, because he would send me, like, all the Clue tapes and all the, uh, you know, Stretch and Bob, like, all these different tapes he would send me, man, like, when I was, like, young. And um, he, when I was 18, he was like, yo, you want to move to New York with me? But I was a little bit too wild, I think, at the time, man. And I was just like, you know what, man? I don't think that's a good look, you know? Because I mm. just felt like I wasn't ready for that. Um, so I, in all my wisdom, I was ready. I don't know how I went. I went to the Air Force, actually, man. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born in Germany, and my pops was in the Air Force. And um, oh, So you were already, you already knew it, that life, I, right? Not life. really, because I was like, by the time I was like four, he was out. Like, he was a reservist, you know? But, um... It, I, you know, I just, I wanted to travel, you know, like I, I, the recruiter said something to me and it got me and, and I, I and I'll talk to my pops about it. And I knew that he was like living in Germany for like 12 years. That's where I was born. So I was just like, you know what, man, um, let me try that out. Cause I want to get the hell up out of here where I was at at the time. So I took the ASVAB and I went into the air force. I didn't know anything about the military industrial complex. None of that, hmm. you know? It just was simply an out for me. I wasn't going to college. I wasn't getting no scholarships. So this was right after high school? Right right after high school, literally. I, I, I went to Sweden for like about about four or five months um, to stay with a friend of mine who was an exchange student. And I got back and was just like, yo, I ain't trying to stay here. Like, I um, need to get up out of here. And Where in Sweden were you? I was in an area called Vesteros, which is like an hour inland from my Stockholm. But mm. from there, like, we traveled all around Sweden, Denmark, all that. So. Cool. 
Had a ball. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I went into the Air Force, man. And um Have you flown? I mean, I've flown on a lot of planes, but I didn't fly fly. You know, right, I wasn't right. a pilot. You right. Know, that wasn't yeah, you had to go a whole different route. For I'm that. sure. Yeah. But, yeah. It sounds like it would be very involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um So what was that experience like? Honestly, man, I gotta say it was like kinda like it was a thing like night and day almost, man. It was like, you know, because I went into the into the military like in 98. So then it was like Reno 911. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> was it? It was, man. It was like so chill. Clinton was in office, you know. Right, right. You know, I was traveling the country. I mean, traveling the world a lot. You know, I was stationed in Guam, actually. So I was traveling through Asia a lot. Interesting. Okay. Um, And I was going to places like Vietnam and Philippines, Thailand quite often and um you know bush came in and started making motherfuckers work and doing crazy shit and it just became a whole different like thing than then it was like you know we went from like reno 911 caliber of military to like black hawk down like like kind of caliber of like readiness and whatnot um and that's not really why i got in the military you know and i gotta say like during that time like when i first went in I was stationed in Guam. Like, Guam is only... It's a little 30-mile-long tropical island. Right. And um, it's only a few hours away from Japan. So, I was meeting a lot of Japanese tourists. And, you know, um, I met um, a, this one girl, actually, who had, like... um, She just had, like, this hip-hop flair about her. You right. know what I'm saying? She's like, you're rocking Triple Five Soul and all this shit. And you're from Japan. Like, you know, and it, she started sending me cassettes and CDs of, like, Japanese hip-hop artists. And I was oh. like oh shit like this shit is dope like really dope um and at the time like the source was a good magazine still like yeah a this little... is the late 90s you're talking about yeah that. so there was a little bit of goodness in the source left um right and so they had they used to have like this overseas focus and they had a japan focus and it was like an eight page spread on right. tokyo and i was just like i was hooked i was like i gotta get over there you know um when i was young i was heavy into anime and i kind of like wasn't into that anymore but once I saw that, I was like, yo, I got to go there. And I put in for orders. Um, what, to be stationed there? I put, yeah, I put in for orders to be stationed there. Um, literally, like, I re-enlisted right before 9-11. Wow. So, I mean, everything was, like, just a party, you know? It, it was, literally was a party. Like, it, it was a party. There was no war making. There was no crazy shit happening. So, I re-enlisted. 9-11 hit. And then I got orders. And it was such a crazy turn of events. Now it's like, damn, I'm like handcuffed to this now, you know. And who knows how? Like we, there's no telling at that time of how deep things were gonna go, right? You know, oh, um, of course, yeah. But either way, um, I got orders to like a little tiny beach resort, like on some uh, Daniel San and Mr. Miyagi stuff up in uh very top of <laughs> Okinawa, man. I'm for real. And it's wow. like, I hate to sound stupid, but it was. It was literally like I wake up and I was on this. O- I was on the ocean. And if you look, like, to 100 yards to, like, my left, there was, like, uh, rice fields with, like, old women with, like, straw hats in it. Right. It was really, like, there's no base or nothing around, and I lived there for a year. And How many other people were there? True. Uh, 15. 15. Wow. That was it. Yeah, 15. Like, we didn't even wear, uh, we didn't wear a um, uniform for, like, a year. And so uh, that's Whoa. that's where I got into making music, where I discovered a lot of music. It, I, mean, I mean, you obviously must have had, I mean, was there just, like... A, there was a lot of downtime then, right? Or what? What's the vibe like? There was. I mean, yeah, it was a you know beach resort. So literally, it was attached to a Japan Airlines beach resort. Our side of it was like its own peninsula, and it was 
literally like military people would come there on vacation with their family and that, but i mean it was like really really so super relaxed yeah because it's not like a point of threat in any way no no not at all yeah there's no operations going on there it was just literally like chilling so um but we were so far away like hours driving from anybody from anywhere like uh literally what i would do um was i would go online and i just started like um ordering because i was saving all my money i ordered some gear um and then i started ordering cds like a lot of cds from like dusty groove and all that stuff and um, shouts to them because they've been holding me down since I very first got interested in music. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, I, I, I remember ordering from them in the late 90s too, right when they first started. Yeah, yeah and they remember like there was, that, there was that website like CD Now. Yeah. But they would have like all these bios of artists and stuff. Like, uh-huh. um, and that's how I learned about a lot of artists actually, man. Oh, nice. Like, I was ordering like Fela Kuti on BMI, like his greatest hits. Like, I learned like kind of, a, I guess I, I look at it now like it, it was kind of corny, I feel, but. It's not really, wasn't really that corny, actually. That was my, because I just dug. I dug and dug and dug. If I learned about a certain artist, I would get, like, their greatest hits. And then from there, I would look at the players. I didn't right. know what I was doing at the time. And I realized, like, now that that's how people dig, actually. I would look at who the personnel were, and then I would order their CDs. Right. And I before you know it, I had, like, four or five hundred CDs and a bunch of gear in my room and I just taught myself how to make beats I didn't have anybody to teach me and there's obviously no music there really there right? uh, there was I guess that there were record shops and things like that um down in Naha is the main um is the, is the main um the capital of Okinawa yeah right. um, but um I was like two and a half hours away from there yeah, driving really remote right yeah yeah it was a tiny it wasn't even a village where I was at I mean it was very very tiny so at the end of the day it's like I kind of was left on my own to learn um and during that year I taught myself to play some piano and taught myself to rudiment very very rudimentary rudimentarily whatever <laughs> make beats <laughs> right so, yeah, yeah, I mean, so you're self-taught in that, in this kind of yeah. locale, too. Yeah, yeah. So your only audience were the other GIs there, right? Nah, I didn't really fuck with them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, they didn't a- fuck with me. Like, it was literally, yeah, it was like after 9-11. Like, I definitely was not no patriot. Right. You know, my last name was Abdul Rahman, you know? So it's like, it was weird. So I just was stuck to myself, and I wow. just... You know, like, literally, if I opened the door to where I stayed at, and it was, I was blessed to be stationed there, you know, to be honest. Um, if I opened the door, I could just leave my room um, and be on the beach, like, within, like, 10 steps. Wow. So every morning, I would just walk around the peninsula on the beach and just listen to music and study the shit. And What's the weather like there? Is it a cold place, or is it... It gets cool. It gets chilly, like, right. you know, in the wintertime, but it literally, like, I mean, it gets muggy like here in the summer and i mean the water is like a pool there you know it's mm. like you can be out super deep so i mean it, it really that place impressed a lot upon me like yeah used to go out like skin diving like there was a boathouse there like you know like jet skis and stuff like that and right. all these guys who maintained it were like these okinawan dudes who were like in their 70s who smoked and drank but they all had six packs and right. they're like in their 70s man <laughs> like <laughs> so i'll go out and like dive with them and stuff and and just i was really in tune and connected with nature at, at that place but i put in um so since i was in the air force if you're in the air force and you do like a 12 month assignment you can kind of get your preference anywhere else it's what they call a short tour uh-huh. you do a short tour you get a preference somewhere else so at that point i had like a land cruiser i had a uh japanese land cruiser i had a um girlfriend who was living in um 
in um in in Osaka. I would go to visit her every now and then. Um, she was moving to Tokyo. I put in to get stationed in Tokyo, and as the luck would have it, I got stationed in Tokyo, and mm. so I kind of knew my way around when I got stationed at that new place. So, what year is this now? Is this still two thousand one, or is it like now um, a this couple is, years later? No, this is o two o two end of o two right. end of o two. I got stationed in uh in Tokyo, and. They shipped my truck up there, shipped all my gear up there. Wow. And literally in the first weekend, like, I got there, like, cats were hating on me because it was, like, I was, like, brand new there. But I was, like, yeah, I'm here. I'll report for duty whenever, but I'm out. You know, so, I, <laughs> really? yeah, because my truck was already there. Like, it's just, like, everything was there for me because they shipped everything early. So I literally got on the road, um, and I got in my truck, and I drove to this club that I heard about back when I was in Guam and the source called Club Harlem. Yes, yes. And uh Club Harlem was the ep is the epicenter. It was a good old like summertime New York siren right there. Oh yeah. So let, Gotta let, keep let, the environment let. in the mix. <laughs> Between that and the kids across the street, yeah. which is a constant all day long every day. You know what though, after seven years, like I I'm actually now like accepting of the shit. Yeah, I used yeah. to not accept I used to hate all the noise, but now I'm just like it's going to be there, and you know what? It lets me know that there's other people there, you know? So oh, definitely. <laughs> but no, um, so, um, yeah, Club Harlem is like the epicenter of a lot, of, a lot in Japanese. So you started Harlem. going? Yeah, the very first weekend I got there, I got on my truck. I didn't know how to get there. I mean, you're driving around, too. That's in, crazy. In, in Tokyo, yeah. I got on the highway, and, and <laughs> I knew that there were, like, the signs. Some of the signs were in English and Japanese, so right. I literally followed it to Shibuya, I get to Shibuya. I found my way to Manhattan Records. Nice. Um, in my truck, and there's like a uh, right next when, when you go past Manhattan Records, there's a big uh, pay parking lot. I parked my car, and then I got out and like asked people how I how to get to Harlem. I got to Harlem, and at Harlem, especially at that time, they didn't allow foreigners in unless you had like a uh, unless like GIs. They didn't allow you in unless you had like a Japanese escort to come with you. Really? Because yeah, like you know, like. Cats like were like being knuckleheads, you know, and getting in fights and whatnot. Oh, right, you know, yes. so um, they were like, "Nah, fuck that." They put the stop on that. But what ended up happening was, um, they let me in. I don't know how they let me in. And then I went in, and I started recognizing all these artists. And I was like, "Yo, you're DJ Hazume," and they're like, "The fuck is this dude?" Oh, Japanese artist. Yeah, they're like, "Who is this guy who's just showed up? Doesn't know any of us, but he knows like who we are." And I was like, yo, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Japanese hip-hop, and I know all about Harlem and this and the third, and they let me kind of rock with them for that for that time on, you know. Wow. Yeah, so. That's rare, though, that an American would come there and already be familiar, not necessarily, I mean, you took, you had the time to sort of familiarize yourself and learn their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which not a lot of Americans do, you know, yeah, unless they, you live there, you know, or you just tour there a lot. Yeah, know? but I think that um, the kind of traveling I was doing in the military, like, most millionaires don't get the quality of trips that I was getting. You know, like, I was going to places like Thailand and Philippines, right? and I was just being dropped off there. I wasn't, like, in big companies of people, you know, and I would just have to fend for myself for a couple of weeks until the next military flight came through. Um, wow. So, um, you know... I had to learn by immersion to have a good time, you know, and I was like a young guy then trying to meet chicks and whatnot and party and just have a good time. Right, so right. end of the yeah. day, it's like I, I think a lot of people like they do themselves a real disservice by not really immersing themselves into the cultures that they, you know, it's like it's like, it, you know, good on you for taking a trip somewhere, you know, but right. like 
sometimes it's just a cursory glance, I think, and I think sure. you can get so much more from your life if you actually just throw yourself all in. Into well, yeah, it. especially that part of the world too, yeah. where it's so different from um, European and American culture. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah, that's amazing, man. So wait, so uh, when were you born? What year were you born? I was born. That's not too personal of a question. No, nah, you know what? I, I, I think I, we might be around the same. Yeah, age. I don't mind. It's like I was born at eighty, so I'm. Right, cool, I was born yeah. at eighty, so I'm thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah. I'm thirty-seven as well. Yeah, so yeah. now I'm trying. You know, whenever you kind of <laughs> track that, I'm like, okay, so where I'm trying to figure out where I was during that period of time too, because I, um, in mm. my when I was running my, I had a record label for a while. And oh wow! I, uh, yeah. So I did maybe three or four trips to Japan from around 2002 to 2010 or something. Nice. Like you messing with Jazzy Sport or I was working with a company called Handcuts. I know Handcuts. Yeah, yeah, I know them, man. I've done some stuff for them with yeah, artists and Subcontact, which was a much smaller. Yeah, industry. yeah, really, really underground. I I know Subcontact too. I, really? I was messing really heavily with P Vine a lot. Yes, yes. Yeah, P Vine was kind of like. I rock heavy with them. Um, they, yeah, I mean, they were an expansive company. Did a lot of, a lot of great uh, records with a lot of great American artists, producers, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's like I, I say, like there is where I started actually really making beats. I'm not, I'm not getting too long winded. No, 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 no. No, it's very interesting. I mean, just the, even like how you even wound up there. Yeah, it's totally kind of random. So, in a lot so, of ways, so. yeah, it, it, some of it was. I think a lot of it was, but there was some deliberation. But sure. I mean. So the very first, um, the very first um, time I went to Harlem, I, I, I saw this um, and interacted with this woman, and I went back to Harlem like a couple of weeks later, um, and and I kind of wanted to find this woman that I talked to, and mm-hmm. she ended up eventually becoming my wife, my my now ex-wife, but still a very good, very 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 close personal cool. friend. Um, but we started dating, and you know, um, within the first um, within the first like. It's, you know, like a month of me talking to her on the phone and like, I can't speak a lot of Japanese. She doesn't speak a lot of English. Um, I finally got invited to her place and she probably had about, mm, about 4,000 records wow. in her, in her apartment, man. And like, I'm not talking like bullshit either. Like she had good records and I was like, whoa. And she kind of taught me. She was the one who taught me, um, a lot about records actually. And mm. I I'll always, um. Her son's my godson. You know, that's how much right. respect I have for her, even though she's my ex-wife, you know, um, because she opened up an entire new world for me through music. Um, she came up listening to, like, DJ Muro. Yes, um, of course. The King of Diggin'. Yeah, King of Diggin', man. And, you know, all due respect Still to him. Still the reigning king, I Still the reigning king. I mean, it's like if people don't know about DJ Muro, so he, there's a club above Harlem that's connected to Harlem you could walk up to called the BX Cafe. And every Saturday I would go to Harlem. So I got to know everybody and they just gave me a free pass to go. So I didn't even have to pay to go. Nice. You know, I was lucky. But I would go up to see Muro spin a lot, man. And this is like, mind you, like during the Rockefeller era, Kanye right. and Just Blaze are killing it. Muro, the ill thing about him was he was so ill at digging for records. And the record digging in Japan is insane. Um, but it's a whole nother category. Yeah. yeah, but it's like that time was really special, though, man, because like Kanye and Just Blaze and them were killing it, you know? So the music was all sample based on the top forty, and so Muro would spin the top forty, but it would be like the sample sources. It wouldn't be the actual right. album, and it was like, oh my god, this guy is killing me, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I learned to dig from her, and she learned to dig from Muro. You know, I, she actually gave me like when we parted ways. Like I have eight of those um, KODP tapes. 
wow. the original joints. Some of those joints are I have like the him him and Laura Finesse. Yes, and I've got I got I got a couple of really good <laughs> rotates, man. But that's amazing. Yeah, so um, I would um, so I started meeting artists in Harlem. Let me fast forward it. Um, and there's another club in Ike, an area called Ikebukuro. Um, in Ikebukuro, um, I was there was a club called Club Bed, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like a miniature version of I guess what like kind of like what the tunnel was in a lot of ways. You know, like okay. young artists like uh, who were bubbling up, they kind of had to like. And it's still going. It's, it's great. Like they 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 perform there. You know, it was a live stage, and people went there to hear Japanese hip hop. You remember Dabo? Yeah, Dabo's my homie. Yeah, like Mr. Nice. Fudatsuki. Yeah, yeah. That's, he was kind of popping around that time. too. He was popping around that time too. Actually, yeah. Def Jam Japan was um yeah. was it was a real thing. It was. That was my first <laughs> trip to Japan. Was Handcuts flew me out. And then sat me down and had a meeting at Def Jam Japan. Who was it? And Ray was it Ray? I forget what was the it? guy that worked at Def Jam. Japan. Yeah, I forget his name. Um, oh. You know, I probably still have his business card because oh I kept gosh. on his cards from back in the day. But <laughs> um, it was a suit. It was like one of the executive guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it was Dabo Tokenite X. This guy's sphere of influence. Who was uh, who was uh, Zebra's little brother? Okay. Yeah. See, now your frame of knowledge is much deeper than mine. Yeah. Oh, man. Nah, it's just because I was there. Of course. Of course. So the, that first night I ever went to Harlem was a Def Jam Japan album release party. Nice. So that's so crazy, <laughs> man. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was a thing. That was a big scene then, too. It was. It really was. Um, and, I mean, these guys like Daba were... I've seen him pack out, like, bring out, like, on a weekend night, like, 5,000 people. No way. And I'm just like, dude, like, you're like... And he's got, like... He's got, like... He's got swag, you know what I'm saying? He's got flow. He's got all that, you know? So the Shibuya scene was a very, like, its own scene. And Japan had, like... I remember, like, way back, I saw this picture. I drew a bunch of circles because I was just doing a lot of research. And I noted that in Japan, like, all these different circles were... Later on, what I will come to know would be called, like, Gimba. Gimba is, like, this concept of, like, being in a circle of people. Like, kind of like... passing and bouncing your some people to pass and bounce your ideas off of and whatnot and down Mm, okay so but the interesting thing with japan is that those circles did have some overlap so through the shibuya scene i kind of somehow got connected with a whole different scene in this area of town called shinjuku Uh and it was a whole different list of players a whole different list of stars all that man and i mean they were doing their thing and so i started like making my first beats for these guys, you know. Nice. And um and you know, I met them at uh, Ikebukuro and Club Bed and that's where I got my first check from man. and oh, my first opportunities, my first published my name published, you know. Um they don't say Malik, you know, they say they call me Marik, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of my credits in Japan are like Marik, like M A R I C K or M A R I K. Like, it's so funny, man. Wow. But I think it's actually kind of interesting. It's like I got probably like fifty credits out there, and none of them are spelled right, <laughs> except for like in the past like few years. I was like, dude, y'all got to stop this, man, because <laughs> <laughs> the, the checks are getting bigger, and I have to start declaring taxes and stuff, man. So right. I was it just has like, to be the right name. Yeah, I was like, bro, like you cannot be doing this no more. Man. Did you ever intermingle with like the hideout production kind of crew? of people and um, the obviously the legacy of um, the great Nujabis yes yeah yeah so that's interesting June June running uh, so there's a there's Nujabis had a uh, his name was June Seba okay and um it's just his name backwards Nujabis 
Oh, I, and, uh, I never knew that. Man. <laughs> yeah. Not, I mean, I've always admired his work, too. And obviously, he has a great legacy in Japan, yeah. too. Now, it's so interesting because, um, so, there's a, when I started selling beats, um, there was a studio at one point. I was doing some work for an artist. And um, there's a studio not far from there. It's this guy named Deli, who's part of uh, this crew called Nitro Microphone Underground. That's uh, Dabo's crew. Okay. He came up with, um, they were signed to Def Gen Japan. He bought like a clutch of beats from me. The studio that we were recording in at that time was in uh, Shibuya. In Shibuya. And um, I I would go there early and just dig at this um, record shop nearby because they weren't ready to, you know, they were probably doing like another session or whatever. Right, right. So this one record shop, I loved it. It's right next to, so if you're looking at Manhattan Records, it's over to the left and up the stairs, up these stairs. Which one? What's it's what called, was it called? Guinness. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's Guinness, and then right above that is another record shop. New Job is owned no shops. So Jet Set, or is that? A totally I think it was. One? I don't think it was Jet Set. I forget the name of it, man. But so he, he owned Guinness. He well? owned two shops. Yeah, one on top of the other. Yeah. So he would be. I remember Guinness was dope too. It yeah. Really, it was really clean and cool. Yeah, and then have like these tables with the uh, with the turntables set into them, yeah. and you could just nice sit wood. there. And there was like a beer machine downstairs. You could like grab a beer from the vending machine and just have a stack of records and just sit in the window and look out over Shibuya while you're listening to records. I love Japan, man. Yeah, yeah. man. It's just this shit. So, there's just so many peaceful aspects to it, too. Yeah. Like, experience is just record. Oh, totally. And, and then the record digging is better there, you know, than anywhere else in the world, I think, still. Sure. But, um, because there's just more good records in that one location than anywhere else. But, um, no, so I used to go in there before my sessions in the studio and, um, I would, uh, there was a young guy who was working there, I forget his name now, but um, I would ask him if I could put my bag, you know, in a lot of places you go to, they'll be like, can you check your bag? And I'd check my bag, he'd be like, man, that's heavy. And I'd be like, oh, it's an MPC 3000, which is my machine. And um, and I was like, yo, you know, he's, he's like, he's like, oh, you make beats and whatnot. So one day he was like, yo, can you, um, he's like, he's like, I want to hear your beat sometime. And I was like, yeah, you could. I, you know, I was living in an, an area called Adachiku, and Adachiku is like way up in the northeast. Hmm, okay. Um, so I just um, you got to go over like two rivers. It's kind of like the Bronx of Tokyo. Like mad projects actually out there. Hmm. So I was like, um, I was like, you know what? Um, I live in Adachiku, man. But he's like, well, nah, let me hear it here. He's like, and I was like, oh, can I plug in? I was like, I'll plug in and like play some beats for you. So in the record store, in the record shop, and it, it was pretty sleepy. You know, it was yeah. like. Like, right now, it's like 2 in the afternoon. There wasn't a whole bunch of people in there. So, like, I get a couple of beers. I hook in the NPC, and I just start playing beats. And the guy has a couple of friends that were coming by anyway, I guess. And they stopped in. And they saw me, so they stuck around. And then uh, this guy comes in, and he looks at me. And he's like, that's my boss. And then he's like, he's like he kind of gives me this nod, head nod of approval and goes back upstairs after a little while. And... Uh, and that was new job is actually. Wow. So he heard me playing my beats in the record shop. That's man. amazing. Man. That's so dope, dude. <laughs> but I wasn't into his music, man, and I'm so ashamed of that, man. It's fine. I mean, it's taste. I mean, yeah. Well, Dilla was alive then, man, and I just only cared about what Dilla made. And you might not have only heard, but like one Dilla track a year, you know, on somebody's album. But like for me, he kind of set the bar. I mean, I listen right. to a lot of other people, but that was my bar, you know. Um, and going back to it though now. I'm like I totally missed an incredible opportunity, and it's just you just didn't know that he was gonna lose his life so early. No, know? no, yeah, not at all. Up. No, which is yeah, and yeah, he was a very special kind of uh, Japanese 
producer too because I think he really like uh, he really translated all over the world. I mean, he had fans like all well, over the globe. I have to say, like, um, so a big part of what brought me to New York was um, actually I, I I was accepted into the New School. Okay, so yeah. I went to the New School. And um, when I first started going to school, the new school, um, I I was taking a course where I was like the oldest person in that class. Some of the classes I wasn't, some of the classes I was. You know, the new school has a lot of people who are returning students is what they call it. You know, right, people okay. who might have left school and then decided to go to the new school because they could build their own curriculum. Um, so anyway, I'm in this class and um, we are going around talking about ourselves you know introducing each other to ourselves to everybody it was this class at parsons i forget what the class was but i had like three or four of the kids in the class was like oh you were in japan like do you know who new job is and i was oh, like shit. what and i was like how do you know about him i was like what and they're like yo he's so amazing and this and that third and uh and you know it makes sense though it's like samurai champloo and like uh you know, you know, um, and just like some of the works that he did, you know, it's just like it really resonated with these kids, you know, and yeah. that's just insane to me, though. I'm like, bro, like they know him and like he's like got youth around the world that ride for him. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know if this is like a crass comparison or not, but I mean, he kind of is like the Dilla of Japan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think he is in a lot of ways. I think it, it is a it, it's a fair comparison, though, I think because of the way how 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 vaunted you know like his name is you know right. um and, and when uh, someone passes to they become otherworldly it transcends like yeah know. like their whole work gets enshrined you know right. and i think if you come from that that kind of um if you're a nerd you know <laughs> and you love anime and 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 you and you grew up especially loving like japanese culture and wanting to know more about that then i see how he is like definitely um has this like seat of prominence i think you know right. I mean, for me, like, being, like, a black guy from the South, a black man from the South, you know, from Louisiana, um, is that's where all my family's from, is Louisiana, you know, from, like, a place like that, that was really backwards and really racist growing up, um, to go all the way around the world to a place I was really interested in, and then seeing how interested they were, and how much they informed me on my culture, mm-hmm. That's just like, yeah, I, I of course I would, if I was really into anime, I would definitely be on some, like, yo, new job is just, like, my number one. Right. You know, but um, there are some amazing producers out there, though, and I'm glad I got to befriend them, even though I didn't get to befriend him, so. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, just to have that kind of, just to be amongst that community and during that period of time to yeah, where you are yeah. it sounds like now I know there's some credits that are sort of like that you can find online but it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that people that no one in the states or would even be privy to as far as your production work with Japanese artists yeah and yeah. I most find of it, that yeah. most of it they wouldn't man um, well they're not one that's not even getting here physically in any yeah. way and it's artists that the, you know the language barrier prevents people from just getting down with it too. exactly exactly and but it's so that's dope though that you it seemed like you would work with both major label artists or like larger artists and mm-hmm. smaller indie underground cats too. Was that kind of a fair? Yeah, assessment? totally, totally. I mean, a lot of my work, most of my work started with one person. Um, so when I was at um, Ikebukuro and Club Bed, at that, um, you know, there there was there was a live show one night, and um, I remember my. Um, my 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 ex was like, you got to check out this one artist. He's really dope. He's this guy that I know, and I think you really like him, and you guys should work together, whatever. So I'm like, whatever, I go. 
And mind you, at that point, I only wanted to work with like Dabo and maybe a couple of other guys, but that was it. I wasn't really interested in working with any other Japanese artists. But um, this guy's name was Bess. And when he hit the stage, man, like, he just, like, had this kind of, like, swagger about himself. Like, I thought, like, he was American. I was like, yo, you know what? Um, The way he's rocking the mic and the way he's holding down the stage and the way he flows, actually. Because Japanese is very rigid, but he flew, flowed in a whole different way. Almost like, you know, it was just like, like, I was listening to somebody, you know, like, 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 who was, like, rapping in English. But, you know, like, if mm. I would if I were to like zone out I would think it would be like somebody who was rapping in English so we befriended each other here my first ever beats actually you know um and I did a track for him I did three tracks for him on his first album but one of those tracks became a single and that track got a lot of burn around Japan like a lot of burn um and then the next album I did his next album the video was taken down unfortunately I wonder where it would be at now but I know when it was taken down probably because of a sample issue right. it had around 600,000 you know hits on YouTube nice. and this was like back in 08 time frame like oh, oh, I really owe 9 oh, 2010 like when it was taken down what's the song it's called the process it's there's another video that's back up there but if you look up best b-e-s mm-hmm. the process You'll see it. So, so how was your Japanese at that time? Can you speak fluently? Or you... No, I have like high level survival Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I could, I could drive around. I could get lost. I could ask for some directions. I could go to a place and um, eat food, you know, and order. Um, if I knew what, you know, I could ask them what kind of food they made there, and then I could order or ask them what they recommended. Like there are things I could ask, you know. Um, right. Um, I didn't learn to like read Japanese until I actually went to new school. Interesting. Um, but um, even now, it's like it's very perishable. So it's like it takes me like I went back for a few weeks to start um, the the next field research, which is field research Japan, and um, just to reconnect and close some chapters and get things flat between me and some people I'm close to out there. Um, right, right. Yeah, I haven't been back in a long time. So, you know, it it, it it comes back to me, you know, after about like a week and a half back. So see that. So from how long were you out there in, uh, in total? You got there around 2002 or? Um, yeah. So Okinawa in 01, I got there in like 2002 and I left there around 08. Wow, it was quite yeah. a run, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a... It was a good run, man. Would you encounter American artists, too, when they came there? No, I mean, they brought so many New York artists. Yeah, too, yeah. It seemed like in the circles that you were running. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, I, you know, I encountered certain people. Um, you know, I learned really quickly um, because, like, there is a very real celebrity around their artists, too. Yes. So I learned to kind of just be around people who are really known without, like, getting starstruck or acting stupid or, you know, of course, embarrassing yeah. myself or making them uncomfortable. Um, but, um, I also, um, saw some artists, like, you know, I saw a lot of artists, like, and it, it kind of proved to me, like, uh, actually, I wouldn't say they proved to me then at, at that point, but there, there is a saying, like, you don't want to get to know your heroes. Right. <laughs> and sometimes, like, yes. that was proven true, but for the most part, everybody was cool because, like, I wasn't going to, like, Roppongi and these other areas where most people were going to. Yeah, Roppongi would be, like, where... Usually, where the, um, the GIs would expats go there. Expats will while out. And e- exactly. The meat market, man. Right. I, I would never go there. I was like in Club Yellow and Club Milk and Shibuya Nuts and Club Harlem. Like all these places oh. that it was only almost exclusively Japanese people and maybe me and maybe like 
two other people, you know, who were... Um, Do you know DJ Quiet Storm? He was yeah, an American guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was out there. He was out there, actually. We didn't... We met each other, like, once or twice, man, but we never really got a chance to really, really kick it heavy, man. Um, but, no, nah, he was a good dude whenever I met him. Cool. Um, but, yeah, um, I would say the people who I met who I, were the nicest man were the Stones Drill Cats, though. Oh, man. yes. And we have a long history of Japan, uh, story in Japan, too. Yeah, man. And, I mean, the reason I say that is because I moved to L.A. when I left Tokyo, and, um, you know, I met, um, I had, like, a couple of times kicking it with, like, Mad Lib and Egon and... um. And uh, especially like metaphor out there. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, and um, they were always like when I saw, I saw them at the do over, they remembered me. You know, I saw Madlib like not long ago here in New York on the street. He remembered me still. Like, uh, still. Just like dude was like a really really kind person, man. Yeah. And um, obviously for me, he's like the greatest alive. Yeah. Um, and and I just uh, for him to be that way with me, that was really impressive. You know, um, so. I got to meet a lot of artists, though. Yeah, like, that's amazing. So then, so what, what's your life like and what's your career like after post-Japan? You moved to L.A. Are you there for any extended period of time? Because you've yeah. now been in New York for quite a while. So Yeah, no, I was in, New York, I was in L.A. for about about a year, a year and a half. And, Were you still um, in the military? Or? No, no, I was out. I got out. I was done. I was like, you know what? I, I played musical chairs of like deployments, trying to not get deployed, and got bit by the Iraq <laughs> bug, and um, I had to go. You know, and actually, when I first met Mal, it was like literally like a week before I left. Actually, it was Chrome Children Tour. And, like, he blessed me with, like, a couple of CDs or something. He was spinning, actually. Wow. And then um, he gave me, like, a Chrome Children um Chrome Children CD as well. One of those CDs was like actually ended up having stuff from his BBE Beat Generation stuff on it, but he just oh, gave wow. it to me. I think the other one was like the 64 Beats Beat Tape or something like that that was floating around for a while yep. or, or had some joints on there. Yep, yeah. But um, so you went to Iraq? Yeah, I went there. I went there and um, I made a lot of beats there. Um, what was your what was the vibe like? What was the living situation like? It was, like a- it, it was kind of wild, man. Like I um, so I was um. Remember the Abu Grave situation happened, so right. they ended up instead of um instead of allowing like um offensive force um um troops to watch um detainees, they're like you were gonna have the more technical forces like the Air Force and the Navy watch the detainees. So I was working with detainees a lot, you know. Dang, really? Yeah, it was like about probably at, at its height around close to 30,000 detainees there and probably a couple of thousand of us and that was it you know but it was really interesting because my last name is Abdul Rahman and we had to you know we kept our name tags on because that was one of the I think one of the things that got reformed from the whole Abu Ghraib situation um so we had our name tags and literally like the 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 the, they call it the TIF, the theater internment facility. It was split up into like many different compounds of like a thousand people each, and I don't know how they knew, but like, well, they saw my name Abdul Rahman, and within like within like two days, everybody, every detainee, like in the entire facility, knew that there was like a guard named Abdul Rahman. And um and did they treat you differently? Yeah, they they you know sometimes they would riot and things like that, but I never had to deal with that and they they were talked to me a lot easier you know because they knew i was muslim so amazing yeah it was it was um you know i think in that kind of a situation like 
security is just an illusion you know we're not running we're not in control of anything they were very much in control of anything everything and that was when i kind of started to get my education really like deeply around like the injustice of war um you know i belong to veterans for peace for peace now um i got to see like you know some really ill shit up front and close and personal and i think it takes like going through a situation like that for you know to to it became like a catalyst for me to learn like really what the military is you know in respect to everybody who's a troop you know um i got a lot of friends still in that but i also understand that like the military industrial complex i understand why i made my decision to go because it's not like it wasn't like it it was a unique thing um it, it preys on a lot of like brown and black people who come for like impoverished or low income families or, or backgrounds um and the way that it's been utilized over the past like decade and a half has not been right you know it's like it's people who are sacrificing and signing their lives on the line and they're really going to serve for ulterior motives i believe you know um and well when you're in in the complex like where you were and you see so many things that just simply will never truly be make it into the media. No, not at all. Exposed in such a different way. Not at all. It's like you know, I used to work like the night shift, for example, man. And you know, you just sit there. Like I was like one of the sergeants, you know, on on duty. So it's like I would just sit there and talk to like the chief. There's like an interpreter in each uh, compound. There's like a uh, imam in each compound. I oh, mean, really? my yeah, my compound had like twelve hundred. And it was uh, mostly Baathists, you know, so they're from like, uh, from, uh, you know, Baath party supporters. They're from, um, you know, a lot of them are Tikriti, you know, they're like uh, from Tikrit, which is uh, like where um, where Saddam Hussein is from. So they didn't really have, they weren't combatants or anything like that. I, I did work in a compound that was like people who were hardcore, like basically Al-Qaeda, people who admitted that they were that, you know, but... When I was in Iraq, um, I was working around these guys who were pretty much normal people, but, you know, it... There's this one guy, man, and um, a lot of the guard force who are like who are women, you know, Air Force and Navy, they, you know, they would say he was cute, man, and uh, I think his name was Maher, and um, it was interesting, man, because you know, he was like he, I think he went to college in the states or in Germany. I think he's been to college in the states for like a year, maybe, okay, or okay. two. Um, then he went to college in Germany, spoke like six languages, and he owned like a few different exotic car. Um, um, businesses, you know, during Saddam's time. Right. And uh, one night we were just sitting there talking. We would play chess. Um, and we would just have like, uh, and we would have like, um, they have like, you know, like, uh, kahawa, you know, like, uh, like, uh, basically like, um, Arabic coffee. It's really mad thick. It's like, yeah, muddy almost. Right? Yeah. Sometimes, like, uh, there was one guy there, the imam hated this guy, but sometimes there's, there's a guy there that knew how to read people's cups, you know, so sometimes they would read your cups, you know, because that's a thing. It's like, instead what do you of. Mean? So instead of reading your palm, like, you know, you flip the cup over and you see how it runs down and then you can actually intuit certain things from that, you know. Really? Yeah, that's a real thing, man. <laughs> so that's amazing. It's, it is, it is, it is. Because it's so thick that people can start to see things in that, you know, but um, in the way it runs down. But anyway, you know, it's like not to get too deep, but, you know, it's like I asked him. Um, I remember one night I was like, you know, my like we're smoking cigarettes and just talking all night at the fence. And I was just like, my like, so what are you here for, man? Like, you know. Um, I never, you know, I, I made it a point to not try to get into their files or read their files because I'm working with these people day in, day out. Right. And he's like, man, you know, where I'm from, like a lot of people live in big compounds, you know, so like we live in the compound and, um, 
it was always like brothers, sisters, and three, four generations, you know. And he was telling me that um, one night um, there was a big, there was a birthday party, there was a celebration for a birthday. Um, and essentially, what had happened was, like, you know, what they do there is they shoot in the air. That's what they do. Right. That's how they celebrate there. Um, so they, they let off a couple in the yeah, air. they let off some rounds, you know. But it's like a bunch of people letting off rounds together. But they don't do it all right. night, you know. But they did that, and at some point that evening time, like a marine platoon came in and um, and killed a lot of people in his family, you know. And I think within the next, I mean, literally, like a lot of women and children lived in the front of the compound, so it's a lot of women and children. He's like essentially most of his preceding generation and the younger generation in his family got killed. Like a lot of people got yeah. killed. And so he said, like, a lot of the men in his family, like his brothers and cousins, they went back and they sought revenge and they got revenge. And I sat there and I just was quiet, you know, we were just smoking and I was like, yeah, I get that. I mean, what the fuck would I do? You know, I'm for real. Like, what the fuck would I really do? I'd probably do the same thing, you know? Um, Yeah, they killed every member of your family. Yeah, it's just like, dude, you can't sit here. You know, it's so easy to be like, yo, that's war, this and the third. But no, that's not war, man. It's like, that's like human nature you know is to do something like that you know and and we stay cool you know what i'm saying we stay cool and we kept talking i'm not saying like it's cool to like go out and murder troops or anybody or whatever i just i just connected and understood where he was coming from as a person you know um so that's kind of what i got out of that trip and that's what you know as soon as i was done like i was just like you know definitely got a little religious on that trip and was like man like yuck if i can get out of this I know we ain't had a good relationship, you know, to whatever, you know, Allah or God, whatever you want me to call you, like, but if I get out of this situation, man, um, in one piece, I'll get out, and I'm Did you feel, like, um, under threat while you were there? I mean, it must have been a high-risk place. Yeah, there are some times, yeah, definitely, I mean, you get a lot, you get attacked by mortars a lot, you know, a lot of mortars attacks and and, and things like that. But you were sitting with some of the, of the detainees, like, right, so you can, there is some sort of intermingling that happens, or? Yeah, 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 there's there's an intermingling that happens, it's, it was just such a convoluted, like, um, situation, it's like, So I'm sitting with detainees. The majority of the detainees in the in, 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 in the facility are Sunni, but we're located like an hour south of Basra, like in Shia territory. Right. So of course they're just like, yo, we can if we if we mortar these guys, we'll either hit the um, we'll either hit troops or we'll hit other Sunnis, so we're good. You know, it's just it's just, it was wild, man. Wow, you so know? there's even some sort of. Uh kinship in a way just because of that you're both yeah. under threat in those kind of bizarre exactly. different reasons exactly and that's what ended up happening there was a big mortar attack there actually and i was involved in that there was a massive mortar attack and it, were you injured I, I wasn't injured but there are a lot of people who were around me when when it hit you know it's like about 60 casualties if you look up camp, look up on google like camp buka mortar attack you'll you'll see and, and, and it talks about that you know but yeah it, it was it was pretty wild it was like 60 casualties i think about 12 KIA, you know, um, all detainees, you know, and it's just, you know, so it's like seeing that up close, like it was just like, yo, I'm done. Like, this is, I've seen enough about war, you know, like most people and most human beings can't see something like that and not have an effect. And like almost really nobody can because it's not, it's just not natural. No. Like, war is not natural. Conflict is not natural. And it's, it's, you know, for me, music 
really literally was what kept me sane. So when I returned from Iraq and I went back to Tokyo, there's a uh, album that came out from my man Best Cart Rebuild, and it got really massive buzz. But every single track I did the lion's share of the production on that album, right. and on every single track I made in Iraq, on top wow. of a lot of other stuff. Um, my homies here in New York sent me like an MPC three thousand. Um, to Iraq. Yeah. I had an SP404, and I was on Dusty Groove ordering, like, CDs and 45s. And so you had a portable turntable, too? Portable turntable. And, I mean, they would sometimes do inspections, and they will come into, like, my little... It was like a little pod, like a little metal trailer that I shared with one of the other person. And they would just... You know, I remember my commander came in was just like, yo, what the hell do you have going on in here? <laughs> but I told him, I was like, dude, I'll go crazy if I don't have my music, though. And for me, that's the power of music, you know. It, it yeah. really did help me keep my mind straight. Well, you can look forward to it every night. or when, I mean, when, so when would exactly. you create? At night, late at night or something? At night. We work 14 hours a day, like Damn. six days a week. So I would just, you know, every night I would get off and I would just go straight to making music. And that was like my way to decompress from everything. And then my day off, I would, you know go you know get some food and then go back and make music again you know I mean, so. you can't really go anywhere right exactly you can't do anything so how the hell do you get out of that place i mean is it a is it as simple it's not as simple as being like okay i'm ready to leave now I'm like yeah i mean well i tried that you know and they tried to lock me up so they're like yeah, that was a really? threat i mean it was basically like yeah if you don't if you don't deploy or if you don't see your deployment through like you, you'll go to you'll go to prison you'll you'll go to the brig for desertion because that's con- oh yeah desertion yeah, so, yeah. yeah that's not a uh, not the look either because if it, essentially that's like a felony on the outside and you ain't getting right. hired by nobody you know right. or nothing it's just not a good look so I was like you know what let me just see this through man but yeah man um wow I made it I made it you know you I did. made it out I made it out and um you know got out and went to LA like uh stayed in Japan for a while but I went to LA like um um, after leaving, after leaving Japan, though, and I felt like it was time to go. Um, I had seen enough in Japan and done enough, and went to LA. And it was, was a, it just all music once you got to LA, or was that the no? Plan? Actually, that was a plan. I wasn't even the plan. I think the plan was really just to go there because I didn't know a damn thing about LA. It was more so um, my ex wanting to move there, right. so I just moved there, and I didn't know much about it. Um, I had this album called 1983 passed to me. I think it was 1983 Flying Lotus, or was it 1984? It's 1983. Right. Yeah, so yeah. the week, literally, I was moving from Tokyo. Somebody passed that to me. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll check it out. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is different. Yeah. Not my thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Let me see. And so I uh, I moved to L.A. with that CD. Um, I got there where I en- eventually ended up settling. It was in Silver Lake, but I was literally like just a few blocks away from this club called Little Temple. Oh yeah, you're in North Virgil, and um, I can hold that for you for a little bit if you want to rest yeah, your arm. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 no, nah, I just um, switched the arm up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Little but, Temple, which now is the Virgil. Yeah, yeah. So um, there was this. I uh, was a sketchpad party, I think it was. Okay. That Kuma was doing. Um, it's like one of the earliest beat parties, man. Oh, and, cool. Um, yeah, I didn't know. I don't know about that one. That yeah. particular one, and I know a lot of them. But they'll yeah. pass out paper and people could draw while people were playing beats really? and stuff. Oh, yeah. Cool. It's, it's pretty ill. Um, I only went to like a couple of them, um, but that's where I like. I saw like DiBiase. Um, right. I saw um, like I think um, uh, Georgia Ann. Um, you know Ross G. 
Um, I think we had our initial encounter there, and you know, shouts to him. He's a really good dude. Um, yeah, incredible um, producer too. Yeah, he is. He is. He is just a good spirit. Um, I um, encountered, you know, and that was my kind of like my like whoa, like these guys are making beats, and it's not for rappers. You know, like they're making beats just to make beats for themselves. Right, right, right. It's their expression. So that really struck a chord with me. Plus, they just had this whole new sound. So, like um. You know the first ever the first ever party I went to when I moved to LA was a few weeks in. I went to the Do Over, yes. and the Do Over was like still you know it was popping, but it wasn't like the spot yet. But it was kind of getting there. Right, right. Um, and they kind of did some LA shit to me. You know, like the security guard man like built a queue up off of me. Like I got there mad early, and like you know there was like a little patio in the front of the Do Over and whatnot. Right, right. And um and um. You know, Mad Libs there, like, he's like, oh, what up? You know, I like, you know, you know, there's like metaphor. And then I'm like, dude, like, let me in. Like, the guard, they had, you know, the, the security guard didn't want to let me in. And I'm just like, dude, you're going to really make me stand here, like, in front of everybody like that? Really? Like, uh, like, I felt like the biggest fucking nerd. And so, like, I literally had to stand there for like two hours. To what? Get and they built an entire queue off of me that was stretched, like, around the block. But, you know, what happened was, like, when I was still in line, like, I called one of my homies um, that I knew there. Like yo, I think this isn't too far from you. You should come through. He came through. He was hungover from the night before, you know. So he brought some brews. Like we're in, we're in line, um, huh. and then this really tall, like uh, kind of nerdy looking brother that gets in in um, in line with us. Okay. And so I was just sitting there. I was like telling my man. I was like, yo, I think I know this guy. He looks really familiar, but I'm not certain if it's him or not. Uh-huh. And. Within about like forty five, probably like thirty forty five minutes, like they they make him stand in line too. I guess he had been trying to call somebody from inside, and they um they went and hollered at him and whatnot, and they're like, "Yo, he's coming in," and he was like, "Yo, he can come in with us too," you know. So me and my homie, like, he drug us in, so we didn't save this nice. for you. Well, that guy ends up setting up because that's the whole premise of do over is like you 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 know they were calling just homies to come through and play. Right, because it's all unannounced. Yeah, uh, so acts. he sets up, and he's like, yo, what's up? You know, I'm on a, you know, Flying Lotus. I got this new album about to drop called Los Angeles, and I want to play it for y'all. And that was, like, my first ever, like, party function, you know, attending, like, in, in L.A. Wow, it's quite an introduction, man. That was insane, man, because it's like, you know, I remember there was, like, Black Milk. Right. Um, I think Shoes was there, House Shoes was there. Um, We had, um, you know... Metaphor was there, Mad Lib, um, Kareem Riggins. It was like all these like notable people were in the spot, man. And I'm just like this nobody, you know. I'm just sitting there, just a fan, you know. Um, and you know, fresh out of Japan, and um, just everybody was just, just like damn in the zone, like whoa, right? Like, you know, this, you know, kind of witnessing like this new like dining of a new era type shit. That's amazing, yeah. yeah. And LA really, they really show out for their events. Yeah, so you yeah, see they the do. whole. Well, that's Everybody. how that's how the line got so big. Like word got out, man, and like all these young kids are like there, like in line waiting to hear Flying Lotus play, man. <laughs> but it was dope, though. It was really, really ill to see that, and I think that that definitely positively affected my like my time there. Positively affected my music making. I wasn't making a whole bunch of music. I was digging a lot, but I wasn't right. making a whole lot of music during that time. Um, and eventually, you know, like the marriage fell apart, and. For me, like the divorce meant I had to leave LA, and I left LA and went back home, you know, to be around family for a little bit. 
So where in uh, Louisiana are you talking about? Are you talking about like Monroe? North? Yeah, Monroe, North Louisiana. Yeah, so not that far from Shreveport. Yeah, not at all. It's like two hours past Shreveport, you know. But um, at that time, my mom was living in Dallas, so we we okay, we've so moved it's back. Close. Yeah, right. we've moved back and forth. It's like a right. six-hour drive, right, you know. Right. So um, my mom was in Dallas, and so I went back to be near her. Um, and my brothers and sisters, you know, and my brother and sisters, and um. So I was back in Dallas for about about a year and a half, a year and a half before I started putting wheels, the wheel in motion to leave and um, right. head up here to New York. And that was when I met my fiance now. So. Right. So you've been, yeah, it's just interesting to kind of track that story where you, where all along you had other pretty involved things going on in your life. And the production and the music stuff was at times like you know definitely a paid profession i guess in japan you're getting money yeah, you're getting paid definitely. for your work but and then in iraq it's it's a totally different um you know just uh means of uh remaining sane you know yeah yeah um, yeah yeah it's 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 really cool because now you're where do you sort of see your place now because you know new york is it's obviously its own planet too and we started talking yeah. about the beginning I mean, I feel like New York is like, um, you know, so there's definitely like starts and stops. And I always feel like my music was like a symptom of my life wherever I was at, you know. So if I was in a good place and I was, you know, things were healthy or whatever, like music is there. If it's not, it's not there. But New York is a great place because I think you come to New York to build things and then watch it fail and fall apart and (laughs) build it again and watch it fail and fall apart. And then you you kind of perfect it, you know, through trial and error. Um, I appreciate that about New York because it's such a frank city, you know. Um, Absolutely. You have to work very hard to you accomplish do. things. You do. You do. But you learn so much through doing that, yeah. you know. And you got to bend when you don't want to bend, you know. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to do it amongst uh, millions and millions of people all in cro- close proximity. Yeah, and a lot of them trying to do the same shit, you know. Oh, but yeah. in a different way, though. You know, it, it makes you find your voice and what's unique about you. Yeah. You know, so... Now it's like, yeah, somehow like um, music is like a large portion of what my life is, you know, um, and I'm very, very appreciative of that. Um, you know, I, I, I've done production for um, some, some, some decent, you know, decent names and or, you know, some known yeah. names and some not so known names. But I also have, um, I discovered, and I think this was through my going to the new school, honestly, um, I work better whenever I'm like doing projects on my own and and or even if it's with people but if there's like a clear narrative you know so that's how, right. kind of how I the field research you know project was born yeah so break that down for me so you go on a trip specifically for music yeah yeah so you go to Malaysia the country of Malaysia to uh-huh. to dig for records basically yeah so I was going to Malaysia anyway actually um me, me and my fiance were going to visit a friend of ours, um, a friend Akila. Akila was living in uh, in in um, Malaysia for like two years, and she was getting ready to like move back, and or or at least like stop working where she was working. So she was going to travel for a while and then come back. Okay. So we were like, you know what? Like about seven, eight months out, maybe even like a little, maybe nine months, eight, nine months out. We were like, we just bought tickets. We're like, you know, what? we got to go. We got to go. We're going to regret it if we don't. And forgot about it, you know, like, um, didn't have the money for the trip or none of that. We just had the money for the tickets. <laughs> and then um, mm-hmm. ended up, like, about a month out, like, it started getting real. Like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen in a month, right? We're going to Malaysia. Like, whoa. So I um, 
I was sitting there talking with uh with, with 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 my with my lady, and I was just like, you know, I think I should like turn like it'd be dope if I turned our trip into like a project or something. You know, I just felt this itch to like really start getting into work, um, and start um working on music stuff and messed around and um before I knew it um she um you know she was like yeah you should definitely do that and she came up with a title she made the field research title oh, actually nice. um and so I got to Malaysia and before I went there like I kind of started doing some research online because I found out that there wasn't a lot of record stores still open um but I was able to find some of the record store owners online really and one of them yeah I reached out to actually he still has a store open his name is Joe Rosario out of uh, Amcorp Mall and um and it's in a um in a uh, area right outside Kuala Lumpur. Okay. It's in the basement of this of this mall. If you ever go, you got to go because they do a flea market there like every Saturday, I think. And um and they have a flea market and there's all kinds of ill shit, but there's people who sell records, all that and then his store is down there in that basement. Mm. And he has mad records and I just between him um I tracked down through like really kind of word of mouth um, another record store that isn't even open all the time um, in in another area we were staying at called Penang. It's an island off of the uh, off of the west coast, um, and it's kind of like a in this area called Georgetown, which is um, really um, kind of it's like a very very heavily co- you know colonized area. You right, know? right. But um, I found well, what's the name like Georgetown? Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> but I found some amazing records, you know. And then I was also just taking my field recorder around and just field recording, and the, I just had this idea. Of like, you know, my my favorite pastime is like you know watching like Anthony Bourdain. Like you know, I'll order some Indian food or even fucking pizza, you know, and I'll just sit in bed and watch Anthony Bourdain. You know, <laughs> so I love his show, man. I love the way he travels because I think he travels the way that I travel. Right. You know. Um. But yeah, I um thought to do the same thing, but with music, because you know a lot of people can't taste the food that he's going out to try. Sure. But you can hear the music, and I was finding some amazing music out there. So yeah, I love the record. I mean, it's uh, Thank you. and it's like a pretty expansive, uh, you know, project because it's like thirty joints on it or something like yeah. that, right? So yeah. And each all the stuff is it's basically a collage of both the records that you purchased and found there, but you're but you're also basically with like a recorder similar to this. I would mm-hmm. assume you. Because there's a lot of yeah environmental um, yeah sounds and, yeah um, yeah and so you get back and then and then how do you what's the process so, so, of just so, doing so that so I right? get back and I didn't touch anything for a year oh, <laughs> I got back from that's what a lot of people don't know is that but a lot of people don't know is that actually that entire project was made in about three weeks oh dope. um I was working at A One Record Shop I worked at A One Record Shop Legendary Record Shop those that's my family. Um, yes, iconic store in yes, New York City. I, yeah, I'm, in America, really too. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, it's just it's known, and and um, so I um, I was working at A One for 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 I worked at A One for a few years, you know. And um, okay, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, and so I get back, I get back to work, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do this project, and I'm, I'm yeah, I wasn't, I didn't even think about it, and it kind of hit the back burner. Um, almost a year. Little less than a year after I returned back from Malaysia, um, I was working one day, and um, I felt this like tug in my back. You know, we had like a shipment of like 150 boxes of records, and I'm walking them into the basement one after the other. And by like, I would say by like eight o'clock that night, like I was like laid out on top of a pallet of boxes of records, <laughs> right. and I could not move. Like 
I slipped the I slipped the disc and herniated another disc. Damn. And that had happened before, but like this one was hard, you know. Oh. So I actually ended up being stuck in the house for like um, about three weeks, you know. Damn. And it took me like twenty five minutes to walk from my bedroom to my studio room. Um, oh man, it's brutal. Oh, it was fucking awful. But that's when I did the project. I did everything like I was like working well, laid like, up at home. Laid up at home, man, working like fourteen, fifteen hours a day. I started getting in the zone, and I just did the bulk of the project then. How many records did you bring back from the trip? I brought back, like, about uh, 120. Wow. You know, I didn't use them all. I mean, I got a lot left over. It was a lot of stuff that I just liked, you know. But, sure, um, sure. Because it's all genres of music, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All genres of music, man. But um, a lot of uh, bo- a lot of Bollywood stuff um, nice. that I just couldn't find here. Um, a lot of... Uh, Malaysian like funk and even like Malaysian like ballads like um like uh, P Ramley is like one of their most famous like historical um Malaysian artists um he was an actor also um man I found like some in, some Indonesian stuff I actually found some Eastern um Eastern Asian stuff I found one record actually I talked to Egon about it um I found this one record it goes for like about six hundred bucks man wow. online it was a Korean record actually what what but is it it was uh. It was this band called a He Six. It was a group. Okay. And um, Stone Throw, yeah, rock, but with some soul and funk. Also, uh, um, covers on their album too. Um, they did a um, or actually now again records did a uh, reissue of that album. Oh, amazing! Which is crazy. Yeah. And I just found, but I didn't know that until I got back. I didn't even like do the inventory of everything for like a good little while when I got back. Um. But yeah, man, it was just like holy shit. Like I found some good stuff, and I just yeah went to, went to work on it. You know, after about a year. Is there one of the songs is for is dedicated to Anra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My man Arno. Yes, Arno. I saw that. I was like, wow, because I mean, so, it is reminiscent of his the uh, Shino series. Yeah, Shino series. Yes, it's so funny because um we met so me and Arno met um and peace peace man. If you hear this um. My G right there, man. Oh, I'll so, send it to him. We we, okay. we lived together for a while. Really? So, yeah, and we're old, okay, so old this, friends. So this is the funny thing about Arno, man, is that um Onra, like uh we met because he came to New York, um, and um his I think we met through his our friend of ours, mutual friend of ours named Fitz Ambrose out in Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um but we didn't meet in person then Fitz was just like you should I think he was like he kinda directed him towards me. But we, we, you know, he came to A1, and then we linked, and he's like, I'm going to come by your crib. And he came by the crib, and we just built for hours, man. And it, honestly, I feel like he was like a brother to me, man. We, I just had never met. And come to find out, we are born one day apart. No way, really? And we are both born on an Air Force base in Germany. Actually, That's right. His yeah. father was a uh, was French Air Force, and my pops was a... Uh, was an American Air Force man. Incredible. One year apart, one year apart, but one day apart though. Same circumstance though, so that's that's okay. He's a great uh, conversationalist too. Yeah, right? he's yeah, a great. He is. When, when we lived together, just for a brief period of time, I lived out in Bushwick, mm. and uh, we spent a lot of time just like hanging out, smoking cigarettes, and mm-hmm. like listening to records and smoking weed, and just like mm-hmm. just bugging out and talking about all music and all types of shit too. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was so pleased to see that in that record that 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 there was some sort of uh, um, kindred spirits between the two of y'all. Too. Yeah, I, I didn't realize you guys had a connection too. So yeah, that's, that's my man right there, man. Actually, um, when he came through the first time he came through, I was telling him about the project. I'd never heard Shima series before, though. Oh, amazing. So I didn't know. So I, I was telling him, I was like, I'm gonna do this travel thing and whatnot. He's like. Man, that's what I do, man. I was uh, like, oh shit! I was like, 
my bad, man. I'm not trying to bite you or nothing. He's like, nah, man. Let me see the records, man. Let me see the records, man. So he went through, and I and I he showed me the couple that he had already touched. But he was like, nah, there's a lot of stuff you have here that I don't have, and he builds up a lot of uh, Chinese records, yes. you know. So um, I had like a lot more than Chinese records. I had some, but um. I had like a lot of Indian and Malaysian and um, yeah. you know some Thai and Indonesian. So. Yeah, it's a cool take on on that on that concept. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I think all of it, mine, his. Um, there's other people who do similar yeah. things, but I think that it's an all and honestly a nod to Mad Lib, you know, the beat conductor. You yes, because he he also had some really great ones, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The Bollywood one. Uh, yeah, I there's a part two out there, man, but. I would just say, like, he needs to kind of hurry up because if he don't want to drop that, I'm going to drop mine. <laughs> I'm going to have to do it differently, though. So what, um, before we kind of wrap, like, what, uh, yeah, what's next for you? Because this tape, the the field research thing is pretty, is new. It just yeah. it just came out, like, within the last couple of months, right? So, yeah. So um, there's what, a few things, actually. Um, field Research Malaysia came out, um, May 4th. Um, you can find that through Paxico Records. You go to PaxicoRecords.com. Right. Um, and you can scroll down and find the cassette. And you can also find the digital release. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm working on um, Field Research Japan. I think I'm going to release it about it you know, next year. Um, same date as Field Research Malaysia. So obviously you must have accumulated a lot of Japanese records when you were out you, there too. Right? I did, but most of... Pretty much all everything that I'm doing for the project, the stuff I actually went back nice. to find in Japan. Actually, I specifically went to go dig for stuff in Japan. What kinds of what were you going for? Oh man, just whatever. Boogie? No, not at all, not at all, man. I, I, a lot of Japanese jazz actually this time around. Yeah, some amazing. Uh, yeah, amazing and Japanese. there's so much history in Japanese music in general too. Yeah, and record digging follows trends, and I found right. some records that I never would have found. Back in like oh one oh two, um, that I found this time, um, because like people's interests aren't there. But I'm like, oh my right. god, I can't believe I found this record, you know. Um, so I I brought back some amazing records, you know. I dropped some, a chunk of change on them, but yes, that'll <laughs> happen. Do that. Yeah, that'll happen. Um, I have an album that's production wise is almost pretty much complete. Um, there's a um there's an artist named Pink Sifu. Out of uh, L.A. Right. Vocalist. Yeah, vocalist. Yep, yep. Who gets down. He has an amazing album called 2009 with Suave. And he has an album coming out on Mind Design's label um, with um, Ollie um, called Be Kool-Aid this August. But we have an album together. Dope. It's like a little brother to me, man. Um, I also have a project that's probably going to be dropped out pretty, a lot sooner than anything else. Um, potentially with this uh, with this uh, producer called Sadu Gold. Out of a feeling. Oh, cool. I'm not hip. Yeah, he gets down with like the uh, Griselda cats, you know, like with the uh, the guy Fahim, you know, um, uh, Mock Hami, you know, these guys, these are guys who get down with like Westside Gun and Gun and Conway, you know. Um, nice. I mean, it's just, I grew up on gangster rap, man. So I'm always, that's really literally what I grew up on. I wasn't a backpacker, man. So I. Like Texas? Are we talking about Texas rap? Or are we talking No, about East Coast, East Coast, Queensbridge, actually. I grew okay. up on Queensbridge hip hop, man. Nas and really Cormega. Is yeah, one of my Cormega, favorite yes. favorite MCs of all time, man. 
Nice. Um, and he's a rapper. He's more of a rapper than an MC. But I, I just, I don't know. I just, I always loved that man. Yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Cormac is amazing. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so I got those three. Oh, and yeah, I, I, I totally forget. You know, and I shouldn't have. And I feel bad for this. But shouts to the homies in Texas, uh, JT Donaldson and his yes. label New Math Records. So I do some A and Ring for them. Oh, and, cool. And I have a project with uh, another artist called Norvis Junior. Who's an amazing vocalist and producer too from Dallas as well. Right. Um. And got a house project, so he's going to be the vocalist on my uh, on my productions. Oh, nice. Know, so yeah, I've known JT for a long time too. That's oh, really? Great. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, man. We have some we have some uh, connective tissue. Oh, that's there. what's up, man. That's good. Yeah, yeah JT is my man. Yo, that's, that's that's like he's like a brother to me, man. Oh, and, very um, cool. Good people, yeah, man. Absolutely. So they've got some great stuff happening. Uh, he's got some great stuff happening with his imprint. Some really interesting music. And um, I'm just, you know, really, it just got back from playing the New Math Festival down there. Oh, um, very cool. Okay. No, which so is New awesome. Math Records is JT Donaldson's label. Yeah, that's yeah. his label. Dope. That's his label. And they had a great festival down there a couple of weeks ago and had a great time. And he's got some amazing, amazing, amazing young kids. Ben Hickson and the guys who are with Dolphin Records. Are these all Dallas guys? Yeah, all Dallas guys. They're, they're freaking out. You know, John Bapp is down there. I don't know if you know yes, John Bapp. Yes, he moved down there to be near these guys, you know, which is insane. Wow, it's okay. a testament, you know. But they've got some groundbreaking music, man. That's about to actually start flowing out of there, and it's a really, really great time. So I'm, I'm glad I get to, you know, Dallas is my second home, and um, I'm glad I get to go back home, you know, to to work with them. You yeah, know, stuff, so. that's cool. And I like that you. I mean, you just have like different kind of spots on the map where you've inhabited and stuff yeah, so yeah. To, to, to have started a conversation with someone I, one I never met before and I had no <laughs> I had very little information about anything that you do and uh, this is why I love doing this podcast because usually I, I'll talk to people I have some kind of history with mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. but um, it was just such a treat to be able to pretty much start from scratch and like have this conversation because you've had an incredibly interesting life up to this point i mean all the the travels and the experiences uh and how that on top of the fact that you're a very talented producer too which is what brought me in the first place so yeah thank you and thanks for doing it man i appreciate it it, i appreciate it and just uh just appreciate the opportunity to come in and talk about my music and whatnot oh for sure well yeah let's let's hopefully we'll see much more in the coming uh years most definitely will cool thanks man There you go, y'all. That was incredible. I want to thank my guest, Malik Abdul Rahman. If you want to check out this dude's material, then first, seek out the Field Research uh, Malaysia tape. And it's on iTunes as well. I just looked. If you need, like, another resource for his music, though, uh, it is on SoundCloud backslash Malik Abdul Rahman R A. H-M-A-A-N so if it's your first time really learning about this dude and you want to check it out if you're a fan of, of sample based composition based instrumental hip hop stuff obviously uh, from the school of Mad Lib and Dilla but you know when I first listened to his uh, material for the very first time it actually reminded me a lot of Satch from the Knots his post Knots uh, work um, and if you're like a head uh, or a follower of that uh stuff uh, if you will that's what first grabbed me it sort of reminded me of that really dusty um loops and just a cool soulful kind of broken beat approach to loops and breaks and shit like that you know everyone interprets it differently but 
yeah, peep out that SoundCloud and really check out those two labels that he has been releasing stuff on. One is Paxio Records, P-A-X-I-C-O, and then my man JT Donaldson down in Dallas, Texas with New Math Records. So, um, yeah, hopefully I put you up on something or if you're a fan of Malik's music or if you know him from the scene and from A1, then this is a good uh, peek into his life because... I mean, some of those conversations and, and, and that story, and just living in Japan, but I mean, come on, in Iraq, like, at Camp Buko, at Camp Buka, it's just um, un- uncanny, unreal. Um, I was um, really in awe when he was describing that, and uh, it just transcends um, any kind of talk about you know records and, and all that is just uh, on such a human level uh so unbelievably real so hopefully this kind of painted an interesting picture of just a human being uh, a dude that loves music and that music helps get him through a lot of stuff in his life so thank you guys for checking it out uh every episode is edited and engineered by cj stewart my name is peter agas i'm the host and producer of the show if you are listening for the first time again please uh, feel free to share it on soundcloud i'm on twitter i'll post it on twitter at houseless pod so retweet it there just want to get the word out that's the way um i that's all i can ask of you guys so if you dug it feel free to just copy and paste it put it on a blog send it to your friend um word of mouth uh if you're up at a club be like yo man you know Malik you like his music check out this interview he did on this podcast it's called The Houseless by Peter Augustin yeah you know Peter Augustin right that dude um yeah that's all so I'm gonna uh let one of these tracks from the album from Field Research Malaysia take us out here so let's see which one am I am I gonna ride to because uh, I like a lot of them and it's really like an album you should check out uh, in its entirety, really. It's something to like really vibe out to. It's a lot of tracks. This one's called Street Food. So I'm going to ride out this episode. Episode 39 of The House List. Thank you, y'all. Peace, and I will see you next episode.